scripture. We're in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24 this morning. Gospel of Luke chapter 24 this morning. We started this series called Jesus Is, and um, we will conclude it this morning. Jesus is the resurrected Lord. Gospel of Luke chapter 24. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. May we hear the word of God this morning and apply it to our lives. This is God's word. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of them who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so they drew near the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed. And has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them and the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. 
But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, and you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still believed for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? Strange question. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting his hands up, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. It is precious. May we hear it and apply it to our lives this morning. As we see the account of your resurrection in Luke 24, may it speak to our hearts, may it speak to our lives. May we be a changed people because of your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This is our last sermon in this series, Jesus Is. We've arrived at the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke 24 recounts for us the one thing on which all of Christianity stands or falls. It's the resurrection. There is no other way to say this but this. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. In fact, this is exactly what Scripture teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when the Apostle Paul tells us that if the resurrection did not happen, and yet we believe it did, then we are fools. Luke's gospel has been building to this one final miracle. Nothing that has happened before the resurrection has any meaning if Christ did not rise from the grave. If Christ did not rise from the grave, then his virgin birth is meaningless. The miracles he performed are meaningless. His teachings are meaningless. And even his crucifixion would be meaningless. If Christ remains dead, then we're in a pitiful state. Everything in this gospel hangs on the final chapter. Is the resurrection true? Did it really happen? Or did something else happen? And I'm not going to go into defending the resurrection this morning. My Easter sermon last year focused in on a defense of the resurrection. You can go and listen to it on our website if you'd like to hear a defense of the resurrection. However, it could prove helpful for us to look at why it is that Luke decided to write the gospel of Luke. So let me read for you from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, where he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke is writing to Theophilus, whose name means lover of God, so that he, so that he might have certainty concerning the teachings about Christianity. Luke, right from the beginning of the book, reveals that we can have a certainty about Christianity because it is a historical faith. Luke said that this was a narrative of things that have been accomplished, but he also makes it clear that our faith is a verifiable faith because there were eyewitnesses and that it is a 
biblical faith because they were ministers of the word. Now here is what is really cool. These truths that Luke opens up the gospel of Luke with apply to the resurrection at the end of the book. In the resurrection, we have a historical, verifiable, and biblical evidence to make us certain that Jesus Christ is indeed the resurrected Lord. We have 24-7 news channels today. They've changed everything. They've changed the way we view news for all people. In fact, this morning I was looking and 207 people were killed in Sri Lanka over seven blasts in three churches and three luxury hotels this morning. 24-7 news channels changes everything. We hear about breaking news and, and this major story that's developing. So you hear it. There's a big story that's developing, and as the day goes on, more info is gathered, and by midday, there's eyewitnesses that are interviewed, and more details are gathered, and, and if there's a crime, then suspects are identified, and, and, and we have uh, the person that, that, that this happened to or that did this. Uh, we end up having an interview with them, and everything's put in together into a complete story. And this is kind of how Luke 24 is developed. It's like a major news story. Verses 1 through 12, we have this initial report that something big is happening. The tomb is open and empty. In verses 13 through 27, we find these two eyewitnesses who get some more details on the subject of the story. The scriptures were open to them. And later, in verses 28 through 35, Jesus reveals to them uh, himself. And in verses 36 through 49, we have the first-person interview where Jesus suddenly appears in the middle of the disciples, and their minds were then opened. And finally, in verses 50 through 53... The story ends with the ascension of Jesus. The question that we must all answer is, do we believe this good news? Are we open to these claims of Christ? And so, first, let's see this open and empty tomb. We have an open and empty tomb. Verse 1 tells us, it was the first day of the week. And according to to the Jewish calendar, this would be Sunday. We are also told, told that it is early dawn when the women go to the tomb to care for the body of Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that the women wondered how they were going to get into the tomb. Since there's this large boulder rolled into place to seal the tomb to keep people from coming into the tomb. However, we would do well to notice that these women had a strong devotion to the Lord, considering they went knowing the boulder was there, and they went early. However, look what they find. It's a remarkable scene. It's a remarkable scene. So the women arrive at the tomb, and they're shocked. They're shocked in three ways. First, when they arrive, they notice the stone is already rolled away from the tomb. One of the other gospel writers says that the, an angel rolled the stone away. This was a huge stone. It would have taken extraordinary effort by a normal person to try to roll this stone away. But for an angel, it must have been nothing. And so the first miracle is that the stone is rolled away. Secondly, they're shocked because the tomb is empty. The body of the Lord was not there. He was missing. And for the women, this would certainly be distressing. They were already in the middle of mourning. And now the body of the one that they loved is no longer there. It's gone. But we also see remarkable men. So we see a remarkable scene, but then we see remarkable men. The third way that the women are shocked. The women at the tomb see these men. It says they were in dazzling apparel. Dazzling apparel. Now, some of you, when, when I read dazzling apparel, you, different things go on in your mind. So for some of you, that must mean that they were in um, a suit and tie. 
because that's dazzling apparel. Well, what it means is that their clothing, what it really means when it says dazzling apparel, is that their clothing shined brightly. Now, notice how Luke is writing. He writes as a historian. He tells us how they appeared to the women, and then later on he tells us that these men were actually angels. Like everyone who sees angels in Scripture, these women were afraid, and they bow their faces to the ground. No one can look at the glory of God, even an angel, and remain on their feet. Imagine what it will be like when those who know Christ will one day see the glory of God. And so we have this remarkable scene and remarkable men. Now let's see a remarkable message. In verses 5 through 7, we have this message. First, we have the question, right? They say, why do you seek the living among the dead? This verse uh, as, as both a, is, serves as both a gentle correction and this amazing announcement. They're saying to the woman, hey, you're looking in the wrong place. No one goes to the graveyard to find a living person. And then look at verse 6. He is not here but he is risen. This is far from what the women were expecting. They weren't expecting it because they failed to remember what the Lord had taught them concerning his resurrection. He had told them in Galilee and several other times throughout his earthly ministry that he must, that he must suffer, die, and rise again three days later. In reality, if they remembered his teachings and believed, they would have been waiting in anticipation during those three days. But instead, they were mourning. They had forgotten the gospel. And in their forgetting, they were led to the tomb. And it's not until they remember that the Lord's teaching about the empty tomb, that their lives actually change. Listen, there's nothing more important in the life of a believer, in the life of a Christian, than remembering the gospel. One of, one of our most significant challenges as Christians is to keep the message of the gospel forefront in our Mind. There are times that we forget and we wander and we stray, but if we keep our feet on the path of his teachings, then we will never be overcome in this world in times of trouble and in times of sorrow. We instead will be the only ones that are rejoicing because of the gospel in the midst of pain, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of suffering, and even in the face of death, we could keep our eyes and our minds fixed on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's reason to rejoice they had lost sight of the gospel. And then it all comes back. So we have this this remarkable message, and then we have a remarkable report. Verse 8, we notice that the ladies remember, and as soon as they remember, they take this remarkable report back to the leaven and all the rest of the disciples that are in Jerusalem. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, are chief among the women. These are the, uh, some of the women that supported Jesus' ministry financially that Luke mentions in Luke chapter 8. They traveled with the Lord, and they were dedicated to him. They were known and respected women. But look at verse 11. When we look at verse 11, these women were not even believed. The apostles and the disciples are acting pretty chauvinistic towards these women. This is what the scripture seems to be clearly indicating. In fact, the Greek word that is used for idle tale there in Luke means nonsense, and it is used in medical language to speak of someone who has wild talk or that is sick and delirious in what they're saying. So the disciples are literally acting like these women are out of their mind. 
In that day, a woman's word would not be accepted in the court of law. Women were regarded, as they sometimes are even today, by prejudiced men as emotional, given to hysteria, hysteria, hysteria and intellectually untrustworthy. Now, here's the beauty of this. The Lord is using women to further prove the resurrection. Because in that day, if you wanted your report to be credible, you would not have had a woman be the main witness of the story. And therefore, if you were making it up, you would certainly use as males to be uh, a male person to be the first people or person to the incident to speak of what happened in the incident because of the prejudice that was against women. And even today, we have a ways to go in honoring women as full image bearers of God and servants of Christ. We've come a long way. We still have a long way to go. Still today, there's prejudice, antagonism, and even chauvinism against women in the church even though the church would have closed its doors in Jerusalem if it had been left up to the men going to the tomb early in the morning to prepare the body because none of them were there. Furthermore, I wonder how many women are the ones that keep the church running because men have failed the church. This ought not to be so. God's word sets us free, and there is no contradiction in Scripture between the liberty of our sisters in Christ and submission to Christ. May the church have the grace of God to dignify and magnify the work of God in and through the women of God, while at the same time embracing exactly what the Scripture teaches us concerning our roles of man and women. We must be quick to root out any injustices in our own hearts that we find towards our sisters in Christ. These male followers of Christ rejected just as the world would have uh, reacted. They reacted just as the world would have reacted and rejected the testimony of these women. And they nearly missed the greatest news story that was ever told. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 12 tells us that Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Can you imagine... Just imagine for a moment Peter running to the tomb. Remember it was Peter that denied his Savior three times. I see Peter running with that within his mind, oh, that I could see the Savior again. Oh, that I could have one final memory to replace that memory of failure and cowardice from my life. Peter finds the linen cloths by themselves, which would be strange if someone came in and robbed the body as a hoax or to ridicule the disciples. And that is why Peter went home marveling at what had happened. And at the end of this scene, the initial reports come in. Everyone is startled and they marvel, but notice no one really knows yet what has happened. All they really know is that there's an open and empty tomb. That Jesus is not there. Then we see open and fulfilled scriptures. Remember, Luke's made it clear that we can believe the certainty of our Christian faith because our Christian faith is a biblical faith. That means that that what happened on that Sunday morning was exactly what God had said he would do in scriptures centuries before the events even happened. This is what we see and learn in the second scene. Verse 13 says, it is still the same day. The new story is still in development. There are two disciples on their way to Emmaus, which Emmaus is roughly seven miles from Jerusalem. They are walking and talking together about everything that had taken place when Jesus himself draws near and goes with them. And verse 16 tells us that they were prevented from recognizing him. Now that's interesting because it does not say that they prevented themselves from recognizing 
him, it says that they were prevented from recognizing Jesus. God kept them from recognizing Christ. In a spiritual sense, they are walking and talking as blind men. They have no idea that it is Jesus, and so is everyone else that does not know Christ. If you are here this morning and you don't know Christ and you deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you're walking and talking as someone who is spiritually blind, just like these guys were. The Lord says, what are you talking about? Now, we don't know a whole lot about the disciple that's mentioned in verse 18. His name is Cleopas, but he will forever be remembered for what he said. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Can you imagine being this guy? The guy known for asking Jesus whether or not he knew about the crucifixion. Don't you know about the crucifixion? I mean, how crazy is this? Jesus is the only one who truly does know about the crucifixion. Now, I personally find it funny because Jesus plays along. Because he says, what things? As if he doesn't know. Verse 17 tells us that they were discouraged, that they're just like the ladies at the tomb. They don't understand what has happened. However, they tell Jesus all about the events as they knew him. First, they say that Jesus came from Nazareth and that he was a great prophet who taught the people and that he performed miracles. His ministry was lived out before God and all the people. His ministry had integrity, but their own religious leaders betrayed Jesus when they handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. And then they go on to tell the Lord about what had happened with the women at the tomb. So clearly they knew the facts of the gospel. They knew all the facts. They knew about the gospel, but knowing the facts of the gospel is not enough. They had to recognize the face of the gospel. Their problem is not an intellectual problem. Their problem has nothing to do with knowledge. It is not as if they did not know something that they needed to know. They knew all the facts. Their problem is a spiritual problem. Look at verse 25 and how Jesus begins. He begins with a rebuke. He says to them, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. They believed some things. They just did not believe everything. Did not yet believe in the resurrection. And Jesus, when he's speaking about the prophets, he is speaking about the Old Testament being a testimony to his resurrection. Now look what Jesus says to them in verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? It was necessary. Jesus Christ's suffering on the cruel cross was necessary. Jesus Christ taking on the sin of humanity was necessary. Jesus Christ being resurrected from the dead was necessary. Why was it necessary? Because God said he would do it. In the Old Testament. It must happen because God is bound by his word. And so the Lord gives them what must have been the greatest Bible study of all times. Because it says that he began in Moses and all the prophets and interpreted to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now I want to quickly make two observations with you that are critical. First. Jesus clearly believes that the entire Bible is all about him. 
The entirety of Scripture is all about Jesus. And Jesus clearly believes that. That means that we should never think that the Bible is about us. Because it's not. Now, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, the Bible is all about us. It's a, it's a story about it. And we like to insert ourselves into the biblical narrative and try to make ourselves the hero of certain stories in the Bible. But you are not the hero. It's not about you. The Lord Jesus went from Moses, beginning in Genesis, through the whole of Scripture, teaching about himself. This means that when you read your Bible, you do not fully understand it until you connect that Bible to the life of Jesus and his death and his resurrection. The Bible tells one story, and it's all about Jesus. And Jesus is the star of the story. We are in the Bible. You and I are in the Bible. But we're not the star of the story. We're the ones whose sin killed Jesus. That's our role in the Bible. We're not the hero. We're the sinners whose sin held Jesus to the cross. Jesus is the subject, and Jesus is the hero of the scripture but secondly notice that jesus believes that our faith should not be rooted in personal experience only our faith should be rooted in the bible we have a biblical faith we believe these things concerning the resurrection because the bible predicted it it predicted what would happen and then they were fulfilled in history. We don't just make it up. It's in the Bible. God will not let the message of salvation to a lost and dying world be dependent solely on human experience and oral testimony. He wrote it down beforehand so that it could be verified. He wrote it down so that it could pass from one generation to the next generation. Christianity is God proclaiming to the entire world, I told you so. I told you what I was going to do, and then I did it. I told you that my son must come and die and rise again, and it happened just like I said it would. So let me ask you this morning. What is your faith rooted in? Is it personal experience? Or is your faith built on the word of God? And Jesus Christ, as he is revealed in the word of God. We have an open tomb. We have open and fulfilled scriptures now that see opened eyes and Jesus recognized. So hopefully we understand that the fact of the gospel and even the biblical interpretation of the gospel is not enough to truly see Jesus. The only way that we can see Jesus is for God to open our eyes. The same God that caused them not to recognize Jesus is the God who must open their eyes spiritually. That is exactly what is happening in this section of Scripture. We'll not get to know Jesus through Bible study and intellectual understanding. In order to truly know Jesus, we must have a revelation from God. They're now near Emmaus. The Lord Jesus is still playing along with them. We come to verse 28. We come to this sentence. It says, he acted as if he was going farther. And this again strikes me as funny because the Lord is just playing along with these guys. Listen to what J.C. Ryle says. Christ does not always force his gifts upon us unsought and unsolicited. He loves to draw out our desires and to compel us to exercise our spiritual affections by waiting for our prayers. What Ryle is saying is that the Lord likes to be sought after and desired, and he's drawing that out of the disciples, and perhaps that is why he does not come to us as quickly as we think he should in our minds, in our times of trouble, and when we're reading our Bible and prayer and going through prayer, he doesn't come as quickly as we think. Perhaps, just perhaps, he's pulling out of us truer and deeper desire for him and so he continues to play around with these disciples and in verse 29 they urged him 
to stay with them. So the Lord does. And they sit down and eat, and the Lord takes the bread, and he blesses it, he breaks it, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Now, some people, they like to try to, you know, play with this verse and be like, well, see, when he passed the bread out, he did this, and they could, they could see the nail print in his hands. Well, that's nice and all, and perhaps that's what happened. But what is important, it says, and their eyes were opened. That's in the passive voice. They didn't open their eyes. Someone else opened their eyes. God opened their eyes for them. And the moment that God opened their eyes, they recognized Jesus. And the moment they recognized Jesus, he vanishes. Now, picture that scene. Just picture the look on their faces. Probably amazed. If I'm sitting there with someone and some dude disappears, I'm going to think, what just happened? That was, they said, that was the Lord Jesus. He's alive. They obviously thought about how they felt while Jesus talked with them. They said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? Listen, heartburn is not proof of religious claims. It could just be the lunch that you had. But, but uh, their heart burned because of Christ's presence. There was something about being with him that gave them this warm feeling all over. They had, they had walked and talked with God, and even the veiled presence of the resurrected Lord has enough glory to heat a person's soul. His presence meant everything, even when they could not even recognize it. And immediately, they get up and they return to Jerusalem. So they had just walked seven miles to Emmaus, which probably took them somewhere around two hours, just guessing. And for some reason, I don't think that they walked back to Jerusalem. I have this picture of them getting back as fast as they possibly could. They have good news to tell. And when they get back to Jerusalem, they find the eleven and the others gathered in the upper room. And while they were on the road to Emmaus, the Lord appeared to Simon Peter and he had given a report. And so they share what happened with them. And so we have this developing story. We have the tomb being open and empty. We have two other appearances, one to Peter and one to the two disciples going to Emmaus. We have the developing news continues to be put together in a breaking story and the open and empty tomb, open and fulfilled scriptures, open eyes so they recognize Jesus. Now let's see open minds and belief. So we're at the point where, where, where we have to have an interview with the main character of the story. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, Peace to you. Look what it says. Jesus himself stood among them. Look back at verse 15. Jesus himself drew near. The two going to Emmaus. It's not a fantasy. It's not a figment of everyone's imagination. This was Jesus himself in the flesh. And then the Lord proves it to them in verses 39 and 40. See my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And when we talk about the resurrection, we're not talking about a ghost. We're not talking about someone imagining Jesus. We're talking about a real physical bodily resurrection. Not just a spiritual resurrection. We're speaking about the Lord Jesus himself. Now notice the greeting in verse 37. Peace to you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. 
Luke does not give us all the details that John gives us. John says that they were in the room with the doors locked because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. So the door is locked and Jesus just appears in the room. Now, there's no need to act all spiritual. I'm sure you would have been afraid. If you're in a locked room and someone just appears, that's pretty scary. If it was me, I'm, I may have even wet my pants a little. You would have thought it was a ghost, just like they thought. And so you would have needed him to say to you, peace to you. But you would have needed to hear him say that for another reason as well. J.C. Ryle again explains, This was a wonderful saying when we consider the men to whom it was addressed. It was addressed to 11 disciples who three days before had shamefully forsaken their master. Shamefully forsaken their master and fled. They had broken their promises. They had forgotten their professions of readiness to die for their faith. Remember, they said, we will die for you, Jesus. They have been scattered, every man to his own, and left their master to die alone and by himself. And one of them had even denied him three times. All of them had, pro had proved to be backsliders and cowards. And yet, behold, the return which their master makes to his disciples. Not a word of rebuke is spoken. Not a single sharp saying falls from his lips. Calmly and quietly he peers in the midst of them and begins by speaking of peace. Peace to you. He is far more willing to forgive than men are to be forgiven. And far more ready to pardon than men are to be pardoned. Free Full and undeserved forgiveness to the very uttermost is not the manner of man, but it is the manner of Christ. The words peace to you are sweet words to a weakened person. The Lord bids them peace. He then shows them his body, and they can't believe it. They're overcome with joy. Now, we come to another part of this count that, to me, is, again, comical because the Lord asked them if they have anything to eat. It just is inserted in the middle there. Do you have anything to eat? Now, I don't know how things are working in his body, but, but I know that he has had nothing to eat for three days. And so he eats while they talk. That's what we read. So they're, they're talking, and he's just eating. That's the sea. The Lord finishes his fish, and in verses 44 through 49, tells us that he held another Bible study with them. He had given them physical proof of his, of his resurrection, and verses 38 and 39, now once again, he will give them biblical evidence of his resurrection. In the process of teaching them, verse 45 tells us that he open their minds to understand the scriptures. Their minds are open and they believe. I don't think that the Lord is just trying to impart knowledge to them, but I believe he is preparing them for the mission. He tells them that they must preach repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations starting in Jerusalem. Oh, what a powerful statement. Don't you see it? They can't Remain locked in that room, cowering in fear. They must go out to the very people that murdered Jesus and to all the world, telling others that he is risen and that there is forgiveness with God through Jesus Christ. That is their purpose, and we must do this in the power and in the promise of God, who is the Holy Spirit. That is 
our purpose. We cannot sit in church in a holy huddle thinking that I never have to walk outside of the church building or I never have to go outside of my comfort zone to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The call of every Christian is that I would go into the world and proclaim the resurrection of my Savior, Jesus Christ, not just on Easter Sunday, but every day, every moment, every hour, every chance I have that I, as a follower of Christ would say I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that's what gives me hope and peace and since that night in that room Christians have done just that it's why we exist we exist to tell the world that Christ is risen from the dead that we must repent of sin Seek his forgiveness by faith if we wish to live with God forever. We are by biblical faith to be witnesses of these things. So we have an open and empty tomb, open and fulfilled scriptures, open eyes Jesus recognized, open minds and belief. Now let me ask you, are you open? Are you open? Lastly, let's see. Open heaven, Jesus ascended. If Christ is alive, then where is he? Right? I mean, Christians, we're kind of weird. We talk about, well, Jesus is alive. and Right? We say that. And some people are like, you're nuts. I've never seen Jesus. So, we, so where is he? Well, we have the answer in verses 50 through 53. He's in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. These verses are simple, but they contain volumes of theology. Jesus has carried our humanity to glory. He rose in the same body that he showed to the disciples, and Jesus is ruling over all things in heaven. Paul tells us in his letters that everything is being placed under the feet of Jesus Christ. Jesus is in heaven interceding on our behalf. The story does not end at the end of Luke 24. That is merely the beginning of the church. We're meant to worship Jesus with great joy and tell all nations do the same. We don't need to go into the temple in Jerusalem to do so. We have become the temple of God in which he lives. Everywhere we go, we bless him and are to glorify his name. Luke's second volume is the book of Acts. And there we read that Jesus sends the Spirit to his people. They leave the city and The forgiveness of sins is preached to all nations. This is the call of the church, that the gospel is preached to all nations. The ascension of Jesus Christ guarantees the effectiveness of our evangelistic efforts and ultimately the triumph of the gospel around the world. Because when Jesus ascended to heaven, he sent the Spirit to descend to earth. And now, by the Holy Spirit, people from all nations can turn from their sins and worship the ascended Son of God. However, we must be about the Lord's business of sharing the news. This is our story. This is our song. Praising our Savior all the day long. I close with this. Luke's gospel began with God entering our world not to judge us but to take our judgment on himself he came not for the people who insisted that they were good enough to earn God's love but he came for the weak and the sinful and now he had been raised from the dead and taken up into heaven and there's no other response from us other than worship. Praise and joy could have been appropriate for those who had witnessed all of these things. That's a response for us today. That was a response for them. It's a response for us. Thanks to the Spirit's inspiration of the pen of Luke. Know the certainty of these things. Know the certainty of these things that we have been taught. If anyone does not know Jesus, 
They need to know him. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus that has been preached today? Do you know this Jesus that Luke wrote about? Many know about him. But it's not just about an intellectual knowledge. Do you know him? Those who do know Jesus ought to worship him. If you're here today and you're a believer, you ought to worship Jesus. Worship him with everything you have. Worship Jesus for his miraculous virgin birth. A birth celebrated by angels and welcomed by shepherds. Worship him for his perfect obedience to the Father, even when he was tempted. Worship him for the powerful miracles that cured the sick, that healed the lame, that fed the hungry, that raised the dead. Worship him for the wisdom of his teachings, for all of the amazing parables and the demands of discipleship. Worship him for the love he showed in seeking the lost and the lonely people that we meet in the gospel of Luke. All sinners that are just like us, all dead in their sin and in need of life that only Jesus can give. Worship Jesus most of all for his saving work, his courageous suffering, his atoning death and sacrifice, his triumphant resurrection, and his glorious ascension. There is nothing more for us to say as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. We have nothing else to say but glory to God in the highest, and praise be to Jesus, the exalted Son of God. We come this morning as believers to worship Jesus Christ who was resurrected from the dead and proves the wrath of God was satisfied. And it is no longer on me. Because he poured it all out on his son. And my response is worship. Do you know him? Do you worship him? Perhaps the Lord has spoken to you this morning. I want to give you a response or a time to respond. I'll be standing down front. Maybe you need some prayer. You want to pray on your own. Or maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior. And you just want to say, Pastor, I, I don't know Christ. I don't have a relationship with him. I'd love to talk with you. You can, you can pray in your pew if you need prayer. You can come up. I'll pray with you. You can come to the altar. You can pray. However the Lord's spoken to you, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that message. Let's close in prayer.